The rest of you, I'd invite to pull out your um, sermon notes that are in the middle of your, uh, of your handout this morning. And I want to direct your attention to a poem that I put in there that says this. It says, Daring to do what is right, not what fancy may tell you. Valiantly grasping occasions, not cravenly doubting. Freedom comes only through deeds, not through thoughts taking wing. Faint not, nor fear, but go out to the storm and the action, trusting in God, whose commandment you faithfully follow. Freedom, exultant, will welcome your joy. That was written by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a Christian pastor who lived through probably one of the most challenging assignments um, and eras of someone in a position of this topic we're going to talk about this morning of loving your enemies and what that looks like. There was another Christian pastor, and he had a little bit of a different assignment uh, than, than Dietrich Bonhoeffer's, but in some ways it was the same. God, by the name of Martin Luther King Jr., you've heard of him. And he had this dream that was really born out of a nightmare. He was watching a nightmare, living a nightmare in our country. And out of that, God began to impress upon him a a dream that he had, and he spoke of it and became quite a threat to a lot of different people. In fact, influenced by Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King stated this. He said, if your opponent has a conscience, then follow Gandhi's way and nonviolence. But if your enemy has no conscience like Hitler, then follow Bonhoeffer. And what we want to talk about this morning is loving your enemies. Of course, we look to both of their bosses, the one that they followed, the one that they called Lord, that was Jesus. And as we see a palm branch, what we can see with that is we can see uh, the imagery and the thoughts. If you know the story that surrounds Easter, is that Jesus on this particular Sunday was entering the city and he was celebrated, as Rob began to mention. And palm branches were waving. It was big signs saying, welcome, Jesus, you're the hero. We love you. And just like today's uh, paparazzi can kind of flip on a dime, right? And all of a sudden you're in and then you were out the next week. Um these same people became quite clearly Jesus' enemies to the point of putting Him to death. And then the Bible tells us this, that while we were enemies, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So now we bring it to us and we talk about loving our enemies. And as we think through loving our enemies, what I want to do is this. I I want to not leave it in kind of the hypothetical what if. Well, what about Hitler? And I think sometimes we like to to talk about other eras besides our own. We've been in this series that we're just calling Demanding. And what we're looking at is what the normal Christian life is about. What What is expected of a Christian as he obeys? As she follows Christ? As she takes up her cross and follows Christ? What does that look like? I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew 28. And uh, we're going to start there and be flipping around a bunch this morning. But, but Matthew 28, a well-known passage called the Great Commission. And if you're a biblical church, you know that your mission is to make disciples. That's why Jesus left us here. And making disciples has maybe a lot of different components to it. Um, but one of the things that we know is that we're to go and make disciples of all the nations. Therefore, uh, our mission field is John Muir next door. Our, our mission field is our own family. And our mission field is Mexico. And our mission field is China or Pakistan or wherever else it might be. 
and that we're to go and make disciples, not to wait for them to come to us. But I want to key in on, on verse 20 of Matthew 28. It says this, And teach them to observe all my commandments. And as we think about uh, demanding in this series, I want to just key in on a couple of phrases by way of introduction. The first is the word observe. It's not just that we're to teach the commandments of Christ. Because you can teach a parrot commandments, and they can say the Ten Commandments. I've never tried it, but I think it's possible. You could probably teach a parrot to, 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 to say them. You can't teach a parrot to observe them. You can't teach a parrot to obey them. So it's more than just teaching the commandments. It's teaching to obey the commandments. And some people get stuck on this in church. We come and we fill our heads with biblical knowledge. We know the right things to say. We know that, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt said this, and that's not actually from the Bible. We can quote the actual Bible on tons of different things. But are we parroting things, or are we observing them? Are we obeying them? Are we walking in them? The second word I want you to key in on is the word all. Teach them to obey everything, is how the NIV puts it. Or all my commandments. And that's part of why we're in this series called Demanding, is that um, you know, certain things that Christ said, we love to talk about. We love to preach on. We love to get gathering community groups and speak on. The grace of God, the peace of God that's extended to even me, a sinner. On and on we might go with things. We embroider them. We buy them at Berean. We put them on our walls. We love certain passages. But we're to observe. We're to obey. We're to walk in all the commands of Jesus. So I think that God put hard demands in the Bible for us as a community to go, why is he asking us to do this? This seems so unnatural. This seems so unfair. And so we're to gather and we're to wrestle through what does it look like to observe all the commands, not just the ones that we like. Doesn't it frustrate you when your kids have selective hearing with you? They, they hear things really well sometimes and then they just cannot hear or forgot or can't, you know, can't obey the, the other ones. The last word I want to just point out is teach. It says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And so we are systematically, we are saying that, that teaching is going to happen. Meaning this doesn't come naturally. How many of you love your enemies naturally? It just doesn't happen. Yeah, you can laugh at it. That's the right, that's the right response. Give me a break. We need to be taught this. And it's not just upfront public proclamation of the word, which is an absolute essential part of church life, but it's in community homes and it's it's one on one over coffee and it's as a spouse and it's you as a friend saying, man, I want to take what was heard in the scriptures and I want to apply it. How do you think this applies to me? And there's teaching that goes on in many different kinds of contexts. We're going to talk later on about this, but but modeling is teaching, isn't it? Those of you who are in our sanctuary, I'm glad that we have many who've walked with the Lord for a really long time. We're looking to you to find out how this stuff works. We're just saying, man, you've already grown your kids up. They're out of the house. We're in the midst of it. How do you do this? And so you're modeling it for us. The older teaching the younger. It's a biblical pattern. People ask sometimes if I homeschool. I think the right answer is, of course I homeschool. Every day, all the time, every single meal, nonstop, I homeschool. Oh, you mean education? No, they happen to go to our local public school, but absolutely I homeschool. We're constantly teaching our kids, whether we like it or not. And that's a scary thought for me sometimes. So observe all and teach. Those are three words that um, as we are talking about this whole notion of demanding, that's why we're in it. That's why we're looking at these. I'm going to just 
I'm going to just uh, warn you right now. I've taught tons and tons of kids to ski and snowboard over the years, and I warned them before we're heading to a really steep portion of the slope. And I'll tell you right now, this is going to be a steep climb here and a scary descent as we talk about loving your enemies. I don't want you to raise your hands, but I want you to think of your enemies right now. I want you to think of who your enemies are. Who, who pops into your mind when we're talking about enemies? Don't point. None of that. Don't, don't write their name down and hold it up or anything like that. But just, just think of who that is in, in, in your own mind. And some of you, the fact that... Did you say you? Vivian's like, you, Dave. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the fact that I'm talking about this, some of you are right now having a physical response to this. You're having a little knot in your stomach form. You're starting to have a little bit of a dry mouth. Your palms are a tiny bit sweaty because you're like, man, I just, I wish I didn't come today. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to go here. And loving your enemies is, um, is a place that we're going to go. Flip over a little bit to Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. And this is going to be our text for, the, for this morning, although there's lots that Jesus says about this. This is perhaps um, maybe most familiar to, to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. This is in the context of Jesus really talking about the law, the demands, the commandments that had been given to God's people and that they had lived by. And what, what the law was, uh, was, it was, it was given to them. And, and later on in the New Testament, we're, we're told that it's, a, it's a, a tutor. It's to actually bring them to a point to realize, I cannot fulfill the requirements of the Ten Commandments. I need a Savior. And that's where Romans 8 comes in and says, or end of Romans 7, who's going to spare me from this? I'm, I'm guilty as charged. And that's where we say, praise God, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what we celebrate every Sunday. But next Sunday, we're going to celebrate it even better because it's Resurrection Sunday. And that's, that's what the whole point is. Uh, it's a different message. Um, but here it is. Jesus is basically looking back on the Old Testament and the laws and he's reinterpreting them. And he's saying, you, you, you've, you've heard it said this way, but let me tell you. And he comes along and he brings, he brings to light the fact that, that we cannot do this on our own. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says this. Here it is. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of, the, of, of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brother, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Let me just pause there and in your bulletin, I just kind of wrote these down so you don't have to write any of this down. It's already written down for you. But just some opening observations that we won't really dive into, um, but, but things start to pop off in our minds as we, as, we, as we read these kinds of things. Let me just make a few opening observations. One is this. I already mentioned this a little bit, but it's always easier to talk about this in kind of the abstract. In other words, the exceptions to the rule. Yeah, but. What about? And, and what we sometimes are doing with that is we're trying to let ourselves off the hook. This can't possibly be true in that situation, so I'm off the hook from needing to do it with my person that I'm at odds with right now. Maybe we're not consciously doing that, but I think that's part of why we do that. Here's the thing. We can't obey in the past. I can't obey in 1940 Germany right now, right? I didn't live that time. God gave me a time to live right now. 
And so the challenge for us is to say, what is God calling us to do right now? We should look to our brothers and sisters in the past. We should look what God's brought people through. They're there for, for modeling, but we can't obey for them. So our focus of the discussion this morning is going to be on, on our time and in our setting. Secondly is this, it, 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 um, all this talk about enemies and the fact that it's demanded and the fact that it needs to be taught assumes that this will be hard and not come naturally. Many of us are instructed that, that if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. You know yourself well. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. This will not feel right. In fact, you will be opposed for loving your enemy. I can assure you of that. Some of you are nodding your heads right now because you know this. You've gone through this with people and others have counseled you. Don't you dare forgive that person. Don't you dare greet that person. They hurt you. So this will not come naturally. Thirdly is this. It's not unloving to call someone an enemy. We live in a very emotionally fragile society right now. And the bluntness of Christ walking around our culture, he would just be... People would be falling over dead just because he wasn't so politically correct in how he spoke, ever. He had this unveiled love where he could just, he could just say it how it was to people, bluntly. Remember the woman at the well? What did he say to the woman at the well? He said this to her. They were talking about something you know, else, kind of, and kind of peripheral. And then he said this. He said, yeah, the fact is, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now isn't your husband. I perceive that you're a prophet. You know, she's like suddenly like, let's talk theology. That's really awkward. He loved her so much, he just cut right to the heart of things. You brood of vipers, he's telling the Pharisees. He just, he just said things. So the word enemies, right now we kind of think, well, I don't think I have any enemies. I beg to differ. We're going to look at kind of who they might be. I'm going to help you find your enemies this morning. That's a great thing. Um, here's another one. It assumes that you will have enemies as a follower of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. As a follower of Christ, it's presumed that you will have enemies. You will be at odds with people. He goes on to say, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And of course, in the same way, they're going to persecute Jesus here in a short amount of time as this chronicle story goes. Another one is this, that enemies may be a sign of obedience. Now, you having enemies may be a sign that you're just a numbskull and you need to repent and be a kinder person. So it's not just like, well, I must be super godly. Everyone hates me. No, you're probably just kind of a jerk. Don't be that way, you know. But, but, being, but having enemies may actually be a sign that, that you're obeying Christ. Here's, here's the flip side of that. If you've lived your life to be at peace with everyone, there's a great chance you're not obeying Christ and you need to repent of that. The message of Christ, Christ himself, was offensive. He came and he divided homes and he didn't have to go try. Like, I'm going to go try to be offensive. It just is offensive to speak the truth in love many times. Jesus, um, uh, let me just move on. Here's another one. Uh, that, That love starts with truth and not the sacrifice of truth in favor of love. Here's what I'm saying with that. Sometimes our culture pits it this way, that love is against truth. And that if you do the loving thing, you, you, know, you, you have to sacrifice truth in some way. Now the reality is, is that all of us take truth and we get caught up sometimes in perverting the truth. Either, either knowingly or unknowingly, we just sort of get seduced into saying something. Here's an example of what we just read. Here's an unloving use of, of truth. 
it's really perverted truth to serve our own situation. And that is this. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and what? Hate your enemy. Is that what the law ever says? No, it doesn't say that. Jesus comes along and says, but I tell you. So he's going to come and he's going to bring light into the situation and say, that's what it's evolved into. Because of the hardness of our hearts and the sinfulness of our being, we've turned it into, we saw two weeks ago how hard loving neighbors is. We're having enough troubles with that. We can barely keep that one up. We, we better start making all kinds of lists of rules about when his donkey goes in, do I have to go in, this, that, and the other thing. Let's just, let's just say hate the enemy. Everyone agrees with that? We good with that? We're good with that. And so it evolves into different things. Jesus comes along and brings truth to light and doesn't sacrifice love in the midst of it. Another observation. Many, uh, many times enemies will not recognize that your acts or attitudes are loving. And sometimes the subjective response of that person who's being loved gets to be the final authority in, in our culture. They didn't love me because I didn't feel loved. End of story. And there's kind of like, you know, judge, jury, the, 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 the sentence has been proclaimed because of the way that person felt. Anyone who's a parent in here understands that's just not true. You can lovingly tell Johnny, Johnny, 280 is a great, great invention. But it's a freeway. It's a terrible place for your scooter. And Johnny just whines and complains and says, you hate me. And all this stuff. Cassie, our three-year-old, has this thing now where she goes like this. And she looks up and she goes, why do you make me feel sad? Because we love you. <laughs> it's, just, it's easy. You'll understand one day. But why do you make me feel sad? I mean, that's, that's the message that people will say. And so many people just cut it off. They go, well, I tried. Here's, a, here's the greatest example of that. Look at the wide range of response to Jesus dying on a cross as it happened. You had one that looked up and said, surely this was the Son of God, former enemy. Surely this was the Son of God. You had another one hurling insults earlier in the day and later on proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. You have another thief on the other side hurling insults earlier in the day and not relenting until his dying day. You had people down below spitting and tearing and, and doing all these things and mocking. There was a wide range of responses. Did the objective truth of that loving act change in any of that response? No. It's there. It's solid. So here's what you need to hear. Some of you are facing situations right now. You don't know where I'm going with the message, but already God is just stirring in you a specific name, a specific person in your, in your family, in your job, as a neighbor, as a person who lives across the country because you can't stand each other. And you're saying, man, there might be an objective, loving action that needs to go on. And whether it's perceived as love or not, I, I can't be in control of that, but I need to follow in obedience to Christ and love this person. Last, just opening observation is this, that love hates the evil that destroys the ones that we love. Here's what I want to say with that. I don't want to, I want to start by saying that for those of you who say, yeah, but Dave, you don't understand I was wrong. Dave, you don't understand the evil that's been, that's been done to me. You don't understand how I was betrayed and you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I don't. But the Bible points out the, the whole, all those images, those powerful images of Christ walking to the cross and thinking about the betrayal that will have gone on this week from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. Christ does. We have a high priest who identifies and understands the hurt and the pain and the suffering. And don't believe for a second that the evil is 
somehow minimized, overlooked, or just set aside in favor of just all getting along. That's not the message of the gospel at all. It's called the wrath of God, and that's why there had to be punishment and payment. So the evil that's been perpetrated against you, the evil, the wrong that's there, that is not just something that we just kind of put, a lot, put aside on, this, on the side shelf. That's the very reason Christ came to die. That's the message of the cross. There had to be payment for that. And unless you're found in Christ, you're not justified. You're under judgment of that sin. That person is under judgment of that sin. For eternity. That's the gospel. Alright. Those are opening observations. Tons of great quotes about, uh, about loving your enemies. People, a lot of people have an opinion on this. Here's the avoidance uh, quote of the day. It says, instead of loving your enemies, treat your friends a little better. And, you know, and that's maybe the modern day equivalent of, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But it's like, you know, instead of that, that seems really, really hard. Just treat your friends better. And we're like, oh, that's cool. Let's go have coffee. You know, that's kind of nice. The, the Hallmark version, this was, I think, Abraham Lincoln that first said this, but love your enemies and soon you won't have any. I just beg to differ. I don't think that's really true. I think Christ was the most loving person who ever walked the face of the earth. And I think that he had enemies. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who um, one, of the, one of the doctors that, um, that, that saw him die, an, an SS doctor, said, man, there was, a, there was not only a confidence in this man and his prayer, but he was a lovable, peaceable man. And it just reminded me of people who watched Christ die and go, something screwy about this. What's going on? There's, there's got to be something of a, of a bigger picture to this. I don't, I'm not really that interested in what everyone else has to say about it. Here's the way I walk as a Christian. Here's the way we roll as a church. We say, let's look at what Christ said about it. Let's see what God has revealed to us in His revealed Word. And then let's submit to it. Let's come under the authority of what the Bible says. Now, there may be seasons of time where, where we understand better and better as we grow in our faith and as we grow in time, but let's just find out what Christ says and put ourselves under that. So, agreed? That's, that's where we're going. That's what we're going to move forward with this morning. I've put the central truth that I want you to grab in your bulletin because I wanted you to get it down straight. Next to CT, that's for central truth. It says this, Christians are called to love and forgive enemies because we were loved and forgiven when we were enemies of God. I want you to write this verse down next to it. Romans 5, chapter, uh, verse 10. Romans 5.10 says this, for if, when we were enemies, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Flip open to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You should go to the right about six books, seven books, something like that. And in Colossians chapter 1, um, what these two verses talk about is this, that uh, the, the basis for us being able to love, the basis for us to be able to forgive enemies, is that's exactly what's been modeled to us by our Heavenly Father. He forgave and loved enemies. When you go and make disciples, it's not just a happy, cheery thing. People will resist you. The, the spiritual enemy will resist you at every single turn. But we're still to go and do it just as Christ left His throne to come and love on us. A key idea I want you to get down so we don't fall into a, 
a, a neo-Phariseeism kind of mindset here in thinking that, well, I guess I've got to do this so that I can earn my way into God's good graces, earn my way into God's family. And here, here it is, that we're justified by Christ's work. I just read that in Romans 5.10. Go and sink your teeth into that. It was Christ's work that justified you, that paid the penalty for the wrath that you deserve, that I deserve for the evil we've done to other people. Not our ability to follow Christ's words that somehow does that. And once you start to get into over here, we get into a works theology that says I need to work to get myself into the good graces. Guess guess what? You and I can never do anything that would somehow tip the scale of what we've done. In thought, in word, and in deed. It absolutely had to take the work of God on the cross. Colossians 1.21, read it with me, or just follow along with me. Colossians uh, 1.21 says this, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. So there it is. It's the exchange that went on because of Christ dying and paying the penalty for your sin and mine. Verse 23 says this then, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. You know what I think this verse does? I think this verse challenges us with this. The the, the price has already been paid. There's nothing you could possibly do to gain holiness in front of God. But lest you think that there's just a cheap grace kind of a thing. By the way, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this amazing book called The Cost of Discipleship. Many thoughts and ideas about even pushing through with this demanding series have have come from that. I've revisited that book many times during this series. And he talks about cheap and costly grace. And if we just chuck out cheap grace to people, hey, guess what? There's a free blank check. Go sin all you want. It's already been covered. We have a totally misunderstanding, perverted Uh, gospel that we're preaching and thinking about. Passages like this in the Scripture say this. There's nothing you could possibly do to erase the wrong and the sin and the evil that's been in your life. Only Christ can do that. Praise God for that. But now we don't just kind of coast along on that and write, write, you know, free checks against that all the time. On and on we see in Scripture, right in the same passage, this kind of language, verse 23, if you continue in your faith, You know who will continue in your faith, in their faith? It's those who've been purchased by the blood of Christ. It's those who've been given a brand new transformed heart of flesh that was a heart of stone. It's those whose minds have been renewed. They were enemies of God in their minds because of their evil behavior. But now Christ has given you new life and you will persevere. But don't you get the picture that it's not just coast and just kind of write blank checks against that? I'm sure God will forgive me. It says he forgave all my sin. I'm not going to love my enemies because he's going to forgive that. No, no, no. There's this other side of it. If if you continue your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Aren't you glad people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King, other greats who were killed for what they believed in, went to their own death, holding true their uh, convictions? Man, martyrs all over the world uh, today are there because they're holding out their hope for the gospel. Um, double black diamond. Anyone skied or snowboarded on a double black diamond? Let me see your hand before. Phil, okay, a handful of you. Okay, 
So you know what this is all about. I took my boys snowboarding on Tuesday, $12 on Tuesdays at Bear Valley. I mean, you just can't beat that. So we decided to take a little um, mental health day. We went up to, to Bear Valley this week, and we were up there. And in fact, I heard Chris Shelley's voice in my head. I snowboarded long before uh, most people did, and so I would be there with a bunch of skiers, and this one guy, Chris Shelley, would keep saying, every time we'd get off the chairlift, everyone just skis onto the slope, but not Dave. I had to sit down, strap on, do the whole deal. And Chris would constantly berate me. And it was tough. I heard his voice. No. I've forgiven him. I'm told to love my enemies. So, um, no, I'm kidding. Kidding. Um, a double black diamond is not an easy thing to ski. It's great because a lot of times there's like a skull on the, on, like next to the double black diamond. You've seen that? There's a skull next to it. And it's like, you know, experts only, you know, danger cliff area. You know, there's a great sign that I saw one time that said, um, you know, you, you may lose privileges or you may die. Like, you know, like, here's the scale. You know, you may get kicked out of the park if you do something wrong, or you might die, you know. Either way, I'm like, I'm going to stay away from that one. Um, but a double black diamond is, is usually thought of as, as for experts only. It's really tough. I'm going to be really just human with you and consoling to you to say, listen, loving your enemies, we're getting into really deep waters here. This is, this is really tough. But right in the midst of, of, um, of the Sermon on the Mount where we were looking early, or, um, earlier in terms, of, in terms of loving our enemies is, is the Lord's Prayer and is giving to the needy. And all these other things that we talk about and feel safe talking about. And Jesus put it right in that same sermon. Meaning this, this isn't for the advanced backroom super Christian. Oh, well, you've, you've been at this a long time. Now we're going to tell you the really hard things. This is for the normal, average, everyday Christian as they follow Christ and walk in obedience. This is, if, if, if we're to take God's call to follow seriously, it's Jesus saying, come on, come on up on the chairlift with me. And my kids always want to know what the, what the rating is, you know, and, and there's all kinds of different ratings for, uh, for, for, for different um, slopes. Um, one of the things I thought about in terms of thinking, you know, who is my enemy and just wondering what does that word look like? What if we, what if we somehow had to wear, you know, wear a shirt of the type of person that we are, you know? We're like, I'm going to invite Green Circle Phil to my birthday party because he's just a cool guy to be around. He's super easy. Uh, but, but Black Diamond Joe, he ain't coming anywhere near my house. He's a pain. He's a pain to have around. I actually saw some signs that started to do this. It just... It just makes it really simple. It's like, you know, let's just say you're more difficult. You know, you're, you're a blue square. You're more of a difficult person. And Big Mama, I mean, just, you know what? You're just tough. Some of you have kids that you can see this. And, and some of you have really difficult kids to raise. And I, I, would, I would encourage you with these words. God knows which parents to give to, to, to which kid. Some of you have green circle kids. They're just kind of easy. They, they just kind of obey and they just kind of track with things and... Some of you have double black diamond children right now. Some of you are pregnant with kids. You're like, Lord, please give us a green circle. <laughs> you know? um, and and here's, my, here's my encouragement to you. You know what? If, if you are going through a challenging time, if your teen is freaking out and doing crazy things, God gave that child the right parent. So, so trust him, follow him. You know what? Some of you are in really hard family situations. And you have difficult brothers and sisters to love. You know what? God's grace enables you to do that. God, God, God has you there for a reason. Here's, here's what enemy is in, uh, according to the Bible. 
It's someone who's against you and wants to see you fail. So this doesn't have to be Al-Qaeda, right? I mean, we, sometimes we just think, I don't have any you know, enemies. I mean, there's Al-Qaeda over there somewhere, the Taliban. But, if, but other than that, I don't have any enemies. The Bible begs a difference. It's actually, there's kind of a wide swath of people that the Bible refers to as enemies. It's just those who are opposed to you and who are against you. Here's another one. Someone whose character or personality or condition makes them repulsive to you. There are some people that just bug you to, to, to be around. There's like this extra grace required just to be in the same room with that person. And there's some people at your job that know you're a Christian. I used to work at a bank across the street from a strip joint. And there were certain people that loved to just get in my grill because they knew I was at Bible college. And they just knew they stood for everything kind of on the opposite end of what I was about. And they loved to just kind of needle into me. And they're, they're opposed to me in some different ways. Here's another one. Someone who uh, is unreconciled, whether a friendship or a family relationship that's gone cold. Do you know that the Bible refers to those in different places as your enemy, as, as those who are enemy? It doesn't mean that they're, uh, you know, again, that they're, they've picked up a gun and threatened you in some way, shape, or form. They're in opposition to you. Here's a final one, is that, or just the idea that this person can be close to you. There's a proverb that talks about wounds from a friend being faithful, but kisses of an enemy are really deceptive. And sometimes people will slither up alongside you and they'll pretend to be your friend. They'll pretend to be on your team. They'll pretend to be going your direction. And they're enemies. Have some discernment about who you run with. Have some discernment about who your kids run with. How do I respond to my enemies? I just want to go back to the Matthew 5 portion. So flip back over there. Some of you love that. You're just like, yes, the 80s are alive. Um, Matthew chapter 5, back to that passage. How am I supposed to respond to enemies? Here's, here's the first thing is that, um, and this isn't a, a comprehensive list, but this is going to be just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Here it is. Love praise. Love praise for their enemies. The very first step you can do, I, I remember being taught this a long time ago. I don't know if I just discovered this in my devotion time or if a youth pastor said it or something, but a long time ago, someone said this, you cannot pray for your enemy sincerely. God knows your heart. You cannot pray sincerely for your enemy and still be just harboring that, that wholehearted grudge and being against them and gritting your teeth against them. And what, and what my experience from this has been, I've been doing this since I was 17 years old. What my experience in this is this, is that sometimes my prayers feel like this, and it's through gritted teeth. And I feel like I'm just going to obey. I feel like I'm going to act on this because I should do it. In Matthew 5.44, we're told to pray for our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. Um, and again, sometimes, sometimes our, our, our prayer is something like this. You know, Lord, I pray you would just help them see how wrong they are. You know, God... God, bring some destruction in their life so that they'll turn to you. You know, lots of painful destruction. Fire God. I mean, you know, and, and the way that we pray, it, it really betrays our heart, doesn't it? I mean, it, the, the thoughts that I have toward my enemy as I pray for them, it, it really betrays what's, what's, what's really going on there. Let me just throw this out to you. Here's a, here's a simple tip. In verse, in verse 43, we're told to pray for our enemies. You go down just two columns over and it's the Lord's Prayer. Here's how you're to pray. And Jesus gives what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. What if, what if you did this t today? What, what if the way you prayed for your enemy was just to pray the Lord's Prayer for them? 
the Lord's Prayer uh, talks about kind of a, a bunch of different things, but but first and foremost, what your enemy needs is that they would revere God. They would fall down and worship God. That's, that's really the most loving thing you could do for your neighbor, for your spouse, for your enemy. Is to have them be reconciled to God and be free from the wrath that is to come. Um, you could pray for them to submit to His kingly rule. And, and again, this may start from a very selfish kind of point of view. God, they need to submit. Boy, do they need to submit. In that, God will often reveal to your own heart, you know, so do you. And I've told you to love your enemies. Um, in, in the Lord's Prayer is that God would richly supply all that person's need to fulfill all that God's made them to be. Do you see the, 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 the turn here? Now, now we're starting to, to really pray for them. Pray that they would be forgiven of their wrongdoing and that they would become forgiving people. Pray that He would protect them from the powers of the enemy and from temptation and from future wrong. What if we prayed with as much fervency as you and I pray for our loved ones, for our friends? What if we prayed with that much consistency and that much urgency and that comprehensively for our enemies? Do you see right now, people, how this is not done in the flesh? This doesn't come naturally. We have to, we have to do this in the, in the power of the Lord. Love doesn't, all, don't, doesn't only pray, love also forgives. And uh, in Matthew 18, don't turn there, just write down Matthew 18. But um, someone comes along and says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Remember that one? How many times, Lord? Seven times? I, that's pretty good. I'll be super spiritual. What is Jesus' response? Yeah. Yeah, 70 times 7. Before you start doing the math, it's just say, don't, don't keep score. Just keep at it. You just keep at it. That's how many times. And then he goes on to tell this really interesting parable. And it's actually a frightening parable in a way. He talks about the unmerciful servant who goes to the king and he says, please forgive me, and I've got this massive debt. But I'll work it off. Don't throw me in prison. Don't take my life. And the king says, I'll forgive you. And then that servant goes out and he basically goes to the person who owes him a couple of bucks. says, until you've paid this down to your last cent, you're going into jail. And word gets back to the king who had just forgiven this guy a, a debt he could never, ever repay. And here's what verse 33 of Matthew 18 says this. This, by the way, the king takes that guy and says, you're, you're guilty now of the entire amount. And until you've paid every last cent, you're, you're toast. Verse, that's rough translation. Uh, verse 35 says this, This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And from your heart is a pretty key part of this. Oscar Wilde had this comment to say about loving your enemies. Always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them more. So there again, I mean, you know... It's like that's just, that just shows the heart of us is that we're like, maybe I'll get back by being super kind. But this is saying, no, forgive from your heart. Really look to forgive them. A uh, couple comments about this. One is this, that, that God is concerned with a radical heart transformation and not token words for this. We've all seen this. This didn't fly in my home growing up. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. That didn't fly. Mom and dad were like, good, good job. Now we're all good. 
you know, pat on the head. We didn't want token words to just be said. So this isn't just a matter of saying, okay, I'll walk out of here. I'll send a quick, you know, Facebook. I'm sorry about that. Whatever. I forgive you. But rather say from your heart, go and and be reconciled. Here's the other thing. Reconciliation is not always possible. And we just know this from, from experience and from common sense. Jesus was constantly forgiving and constantly at odds with people. That's why the Bible gives this instruction. Uh, live at peace with all men, so far as it depends on you. So in other words, you're responsible for your heart, your actions, your mind, your, uh, your stuff. And then there are some times that reconciliation will not be possible. But keep a short record of those wrongs. That doesn't give you license then to go back and, and heap up more wrongs against that person. Jesus went to his death at odds with people, with enemies. So clearly, you're going to just kill yourself if you run around trying to make peace with everyone. And some personalities in this room are like that. I need to feel at peace with you or else I can't sleep. And that's going to drive you batty because you will be at odds with some people some of the time. Finally, this. We're not going to get into this a whole bunch. You can look at this as a community group if you want. But write down Matthew 5, 23 to 26. It says this, basically that resisting reconciliation with a brother puts your soul at risk. Pretty fascinating little side topic here. But, but, but the, the story is that you can't happily go off to worship and be in right relationship with God and give praise to God and bring your offering while you know your brother has something against you. You go and you make that right first. You go and as far as it depends on you, you live in peace with all people. There's a sense of urgency and immediacy to that. Thirdly is this, that love greets. Love prays, love forgives, and love greets. Matthew 5.47 says, And if you greet only your brother, what are you doing more than others? Do not pagans do that? Uh, just very quickly on this, is that God knows the condition. Um, God knows that our heart's condition is revealed as much in our daily courtesy of how we just treat people as it is in our giant global causes that we might go and, and, and be involved in. We can say that we love people. It's easy to go do that for a week in Mexico. It really is. Piece of cake. You, you go through life not showing favoritism. You go through life not, not giving regard just for those who, who give regard back to you. That's why it requires a daily submission to God. Say, Lord, I want to treat people as gifts from you. Even when they just are acting like a complete nightmare to me, give me the grace to, to greet them and to be courteous to them. Finally, love blesses. You see this, this progression here. Pray, forgive, small step, give a greeting. Blessing really moves way beyond that now. You want to you bless those that you love. You want to pour out generosity. You're, you're hoping for their good. Just write down Luke 6, 27 to 35 next to that. All of these are taken from Luke 6, 27 to 35. Do good to those who hate you. Turn the other cheek. Give to whoever asks. Lend expecting nothing in return. You know, the way that you know that God has healed and empowered you and freed you from this this hate or this enemy vibe that you have with someone is this. And again, if you've tasted and seen this, all you do is it it drives you to worship. You say, thanks God, this must be you at work because this wasn't me. Here it is. When you hear that person's name, you immediately think about them and theirs. I wonder how they're doing. I wonder how their kids are doing. I wonder how that person's spouse is doing. What's going on in their life? 
the way that you would with, with someone here. Instead of you and yours. You hear that name and you go, they wronged me. They shamed me. They shunned me in a greeting. They did this, that, or the other thing to me. And that's a, that's a little litmus test for you. The second you hear their name, what's the first thought that, that comes to your mind? And there's, there's an amazing power to this when you just go, one day, it's like a fog clearing one day. You go, Lord, I just heard that person referenced in conversation and my stomach didn't do a flip. God, I just heard that person's conversation and I genuinely longed for their well-being. I have a long way to go with that still, but, but that's, that's the, the, the tipping of the scale. Thank you, God. That's empowering. That's God at work in you and you just sense the healing. If I could sum it up, I'd sum it up this way. Love when your life is threatened. If you're persecuted, abused, threatened, or cursed, love that person. Love when your ego is threatened. If you're shunned in a greeting thing, if you're made to feel small or made to feel uncomfortable, love them. I think most of us in America are more in the love when your ego is threatened, huh? Not many of you are being held at gunpoint because you're out handing out tracts or, or, or standing up for the gospel. Although you begin to do that, you will be cursed and you will have things happen. One quick aside, um, and, then, and then we're going to wrap some things up. Um, I would say this. Take, take these commands of Jesus. One of, the, one of the rules of biblical interpretation is you have to take the, the whole counsel of Scripture. And so some of you are hearing this and you're saying, but, but how does that apply? I mean, do you see the, the difficulty of a, of a Dietrich Bonhoeffer here? Do you see the difficulty of certain scenarios that, that you could begin to paint and say, how would Jesus have me respond in this? Let me just say this. Take these commands of Jesus as illustrative of what love often does rather than the exact thing that love always does. Let me see if I can unpack that. That may have been really confusing to hear. Let me say it again. Take these commands of Jesus as illustrative of what love often does rather as the exact thing that love always does. Here's an example of it. In Luke 6.30, it says, give to whoever asks, right? Now, if you take that, if I come in Jesus' name and I say, Jonathan, give me your car. Jonathan might read that and say, well, I'm just reading that just through the lens. That's something Jesus said it. I guess I have to, have to give him my car. Here's where you have to balance this with what, with what Christ also taught. Christ also taught in Matthew chapter 20 about giving laborers their fair wage, Right? There's a whole illustration there of, of paying the laborer their fair wage. That's kind of an economic principle. Now, a laborer, if it was just taking this principle out and lifting it out of context, could say, uh, I want triple that. And they give it to you because you, you have to. I want five times that. It's, it's not reinforcing that principle. It's saying this is how love acts, is that it, it gives um, away. Uh, Luke chapter 10, a laborer deserves his wage. Again, what we can't do is run up to a, to a Christian boss and say, I want all your money because you're supposed to give to whoever asks. Last thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet about this. Um, give, give to everyone who asks from you is not universal or absolute for all circumstances, but is, but is one frequent way love commonly acts. And here's my challenge to you. If you, are, if you immediately jump to that in your heart, then I think there's a heart issue that you need to repent of, come under the authority of Christ, and say, God, I don't want to be serving money. It'll never be a great God. So please free me from that. But if there are those of you who are getting taken advantage of, Rich and I had a great conversation about Love, Inc., and about how does a church make sure that we appropriate funds in a really good way. There's a ton of scam artists out there. 
I happened to be at Bernal Church when a person that I have seen approached me at Valley Church with one story in Cupertino. They've approached here several times asking for money in some way, shape, or form. And then I'm at Bernal Church of all places and that person showed up with a story and he looked at me and did a total double take. He's like, what? This guy is everywhere. And he knows this isn't true. And so, and so there are some common things. In fact, Rich, raise your hand for me. If you have questions about this, I want to help the guy that's, that's asking for money. But I don't want to help him sin. I don't want to help his drug problem. How do I help that? Go talk to Rich. Come talk to me. We've got some tips for you to think through this. Just use some basic common sense discernment. But here's, here's the thing. When you take up the towel to serve, when you're a giver, you know what will happen? You will be conned. Here's the challenge. Here's the riff. Love the con man. So there's times where I've given this. I've said to the Lord, I've said, Lord, I feel like this is from you. This story may be totally fake. You haven't given me one clear answer one way or the other. But, but, I, but I'm giving this to you, not to this person. And, and Lord, even if this person's lying and ripping me off, would you just take that and somehow use it for, for, for your good? And so to, to, to give in Jesus' name, you will at times get ripped off. You will at times uh, be, be taken advantage of. That's the nature of a servant. If you're doing this to the Lord, there's no fear in that. Band, come on up. Um, very quickly, I want to wrap up with this. How am, I supposed to, how am I supposed to love like this? I mean, I know you're asking that. How, how do I love like this? We have a hard enough time with the annoying office person than with Hitler. So don't even go to Hitler. Don't even go to some big, bad enemy. Just talk about the person that you're having a hard time loving in your, in your um, community. Here's, here's a couple things. One is that being God's child sets us free from anxiety. Uh, Matthew 5 says, That you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. I can be free from worry. I can be free from an exact exchange of something. God, I want to give them this love, but they better give me something in back. I'm freed from that as a son of God, as a child of God. I don't find my dignity, value, or worth in that person. And so I'm, as we've said in the past, free to share. I'm free to, to give away freely. Secondly is that there's great reward. Luke 6.35, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You know what you ought to be teaching yourself first and those you love second? Is that there is a greater reward that we're living for. Many who love their enemies in this life will get hanged like Dietrich Bonhoeffer did. It's happening right now, all over the world. It's called the persecuted church. Many in this room who walk out of here and love an enemy this week will be shamed, mocked, uh, taken advantage of, cursed behind their back, all for the name of Christ. There is a greater reward. Do not do this looking for some greater reward here on earth. The reality is you'll see God at work and you'll actually be blessed here on earth as well. Finally is this. Be merciful because your Father is merciful. Modeling is a powerful uh, teacher, isn't it? If you're not daily going back and remembering God's new mercies on your life, on your junk today, it's very hard to, to give that away. If you've leaned once a long time ago some decision you made on the grace and forgiveness of God and you don't chew on it much today, then you put yourself in some kind of a high and mighty righteous position, doling out little graces here and there to people you feel like it. But if you come to the cross every single morning and say, God, I'm thankful your mercies are new today because I need them desperately. Then you become not like the unmerciful servant, but like the merciful servant who says, 
God's forgiven me all of this. Of course I'll forgive you your four bucks. Man, in fact, let me tell you about my father. I'd be an idiot not to forgive you your four bucks. Close your eyes and just listen to this verse as we wrap up. Philippians 3.17 says this. Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Keep your eyes closed and just think about this, that we're told to join with others in following this pattern. Community groups, you're going to be challenged this week with some questions and with the memory verse and to chew on this together. Contrast those whose mind is on earthly things with Colossians 3.2, which says this, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And this includes even your enemies. God, we're humbled, as we were saying earlier, about your love for us. And God, we are in dire need this morning of seeing a picture of your grace in our life before we go and try to live this out with others. But we thank you for the purifying power of taking you at your word, following you down the slope, God, to places that look really beyond our control. And yet, God, we trust that you're with us. We trust that you're sovereign in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.